And now it's time for a Laracon special edition of the Laravel News Podcast with hosts Eric Barnes and Jack Frew, along with special guests Taylor Otwell, Adam Wathen, Evan Yu, and Chris Vidal. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. Hello and welcome to the Laravel News Podcast. This is a special Laracon edition. And I am Eric Barnes, along with... I'm Jack Frew, and we've also got a few special guests with us today, Eric. I'm very excited. Yes, it's awesome. We have a, a lot of interviews lined up. So we've got interviews coming from Taylor Otwell. Uh, we've got one from Evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js. We've got Adam Wathen, and we've got Chris Fidow. Yes, uh, a lot of great people um, on, the, on the episode this week. Um, so it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm geared up and ready to head to Louisville. How about you? I am, too. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not going to Laracon, uh, fear not. There is a lot of good content in here. Uh, the original purpose was going to be to talk about you know, what to expect at Laracon. And we've got a lot of that stuff to cover. But in doing these interviews with all these folks, what we found is that they're, they're giving a lot of, of really good information. I think you're going to want to listen to these interviews, even if you're not going to Laracon. And of course, if you bought your live stream ticket, you'll be able to watch the thing live and also watch the recordings after the fact. Eric, you've been to Laracon before, as have I. Do you have any tips or tricks or things like that that you want to share for people? I have I have one about parking, so I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, well, go ahead with your parking one first. That'll give me a give me a minute to uh, to rejog my memory. <laughs> Here's my parking tip. So if you're driving to the conference, uh, you may or may not know this, but there is a really affordable parking garage right underneath the building. So what I would do if you were going to drive and not walk from the hotel, for example is you have to pull kind of around the front of the building and then you make a right-hand turn. You kind of go down a little bit of a hill. You make another right and you go into this parking lot and you can drive around and stuff like that. But what you want to look for is there's a, an elevator bank and I parked right next to that, got in the elevator. It went right upstairs and I like walked out and I was in this kind of like back lobby that was off to the side a little bit. Like when you walk in, there was that area that like the waiting area on the left. So uh, that actually worked out to be super, super convenient for me. And I don't know how it is in Kentucky, but I can tell you, Eric, right now in Chicago, we are getting like record heat early in the morning. It's never humid out here. And I like opened the door, let the dogs out the other morning. And it was just like wetness just came in from the outside. Like it was awful. So if it's like that and people don't feel like walking, because I think it's like a, wasn't it like a five or six block walk from the hotel? Right. Yeah, I, th I think so. It's not like the hotel's right across the street. So that's my, that's my parking tip for the day. Yeah. I'm trying to think of any, I don't, I don't really have any because last year it seemed like I flew in and then took a cab over to the hotel, which was like a 20 minute cab ride maybe but then as soon as i got there it seems like i found people that was you know for the conference and i just kind of hung out with them the whole rest of the time so we never really went anywhere outside of you know the hotel and the and the thing so i didn't really get to experience actually much of louisville other than a few restaurants here and there speaking of restaurants now i remember because i stayed at the hotel last year i think there's a dunkin donuts right across the street and I remember going over there to get breakfast a couple of the mornings. Uh, where did you Where did you eat most of your meals? Oh, did you eat in the hotel? Or no, um, my coworker Rebecca, she actually is native to Louisville, and she took us to all these like awesome places that I can't remember. <laughs> I remember Rebecca; she was really nice. Yes, yes, she's really good. And uh, but I, I don't remember all the places, but it was it was lots of like you know, they, Chris Fidel is big into tacos and Mexican, so we went to all these different Mexican restaurants and all this stuff. I, ironically, I, I think I actually did go to Chipotle because I think there was a Chipotle right in the building there, right? But uh, I did not go to any like authentic, uh, like real Mexican places uh, down there. So 
that might be something to look forward to. I'm, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to ping you yeah. when I'm down there and be like, okay, where do I go now? You know, where do I go eat? Yeah. Are you staying at the the official hotel this year? I am. Yes. Okay. I went on the cheap side this year because uh, I've got a kid going off to college, and I was kind of actually debating whether I could even attend this or not. So I'm staying at like a uh, like a Hampton Inn over in Indiana across the bridge. So mm. we're gonna see how that goes this year. It's it's saving me a pretty good chunk of money compared to staying at the conference hotel. But the thing I worry about is like I, like last year when I when I checked into the hotel, there were like all of these people in the lobby, and you could just tell they were all there from like Laracon, right? Like so. There was a lot of stuff going on in the hotel lobby like every single day. I'm kind of tempted to get into town, check into my hotel, and then drive over to the other hotel just to hang out. And I don't know if that's going to be weird or if that's going to be like people won't know or whatever, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, well, I was trying to think. Everybody, yeah, in that lobby and then that little lobby bar, it was like there were always people there always. You know, when the conference wasn't going on. So yeah. you could always meet, meet and mingle and greet. That's what I'm thinking I'm going to do. And the only thing I don't know is like I, I think if I remember last year, because I drove to the conference, I didn't fly. I think the hotel charges for parking, even if you stay there. I think the difference is, is that if you stay at the hotel, you get what they call come and go privileges. So you pay 20 bucks for a day and then like you can come and go as many times as you want, which worked out, you know, which worked out good for me. My only fear is like, I hope I'm not being like penny wise, pound foolish. Like, you know, I'll end up paying more money than my hotel would have been just because I'm paying parking at the other hotel and stuff like that. You, know? <laughs> you could just walk. Get up early, about 5.30, walk on over. Well, so I don't know if you're caught what I said. I'm staying at a Hampton Inn that's in Indiana across the bridge. And by the bridge, <laughs> I mean the bridge that crosses that giant river that's right there, right? Like, so, uh, yeah, there'll be no walking of any kind in, in that sense, right? Like, um, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've heard some people got a hotel that's like two blocks away, but I cannot remember the name of it. There was a guy, I want to say his name was Shane, maybe? Like, a, there was a guy on on Slack that had told me about, like, a quality inn or something like that, right? So I I thought about doing that one, but then I kind of forgot about it. And you know how Slack stuff disappears after, like, 24 hours now because it's so busy? Right, yeah. So, like, when I went back to it, I was like, ah, oh, I can't find it. Yeah, I hate that. And then the other thing is my my wife got us one of these, like, Hilton cards where, like, it's like a, it's like a Visa card, but it's tied to their... Hilton points system. Right. So uh, I was strongly advised to stay in a Hilton member family hotel because she wants to get the points. So, uh, so that's what happened. Um, if you're a coffee drinker, my understanding is that they are bringing in Matt Stoffer's favorite coffee. There is some irony because last year Matt was at the conference and he, uh, he found some coffee place somewhere that he was just raving about. The irony is that he's not going to be here this year. If, uh, if you don't already know Matt, I think if I'm, I think there's all public knowledge. Matt's expecting a baby, give or take, around the exact time of the conference. So I think he made the smart adult slash husband move for sticking around and not being in another state when this baby might potentially uh, might potentially arrive. So there should be some pretty good coffee at the conference and stuff like that. Uh, there's some other stuff at the conference that we talk about with Taylor during his interview. So I won't go over that stuff now. Any other tips, Eric, that you have that you? No, I can't think of anything. Um, I will just, I just want to share, I think, what I would consider to be the mood of the conference, right? So last year, I felt like the mood of the conference was very open and upbeat. I feel that way about the whole Laravel community in general, that most people are pretty approachable and what have you. It's been said by more people than just me that probably over half the value you're going to get out of this conference is going to be in the relationships that you make, the people that you meet and talk to that you maybe then will talk to over Twitter going forward and things like that, right? So the one thing I would say is uh, definitely if you're new to conferences or if you are 
maybe even more of a shy person that wouldn't normally reach out and talk to people, do whatever you can to try to talk to folks. Certainly, if you see me, come on up and, and say hi to me. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. So you, you, you can say hi to me. And I feel like just about all the speakers feel that way. I've heard many, many speakers say, yes, you know, reach out to me. Adam uh, and I talked about that in our, when we talked to Adam in a few minutes about how, how you know, he's, he's a really approachable guy too. So that'd be my thing. I think you'll get more out of it if you, if you talk to stuff. Last year, uh, you know, good, good example of this, Eric. Last year, I went to dinner with like eight people I didn't know. You know, and I guess it was a little awkward because I didn't know any of these people, but it was fun. And, you know, I, got, I felt like I got a chance to kind of get to know a few of them a little bit. And, you know, I think that's that's what you do. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, you know, I've, I met I went to the um, the original Code Igniter conference wow. in New York, like, I guess that was like six years ago now, seven. And uh, I met and you're you're a young guy. So what were you like, 12 at the time or something like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but it was small, but but I met a lot of people there. And then I still talk to them today. You know, we even we still chat, you know, through Slack and, and iMessage and all the other stuff. So it's it's kind of neat how you can go to these conferences and meet, you know, friends that you can talk to, you know, for, for the rest of your career. So it's pretty neat. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a bunch of great interviews lined up for you. So uh, let's get started with Taylor Otwell. Taylor, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show, as well as thanks for all the organization that goes into these conferences. I, I'm I'm going to guess that most people don't even have the slightest idea how much effort you have put in to having this conference. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it can definitely be a lot of effort. The nice thing about this year is since we are in the same location, a lot of the same connections I made the first year, I could reach out to those people again in terms of a uh, hotels and caterers and printers uh, for banners and stuff like that. So that was all really nice. And of course, we added some new things. That was uh, new people to get in touch with for the after party and stuff like that. But overall, this year was a little easier than last year. But yeah, still a decent amount of work goes into those things. And you always you know, worry, am I forgetting something and, and stuff like that. But I think we're ready to go. And we better be since it's only... <laughs> A week from yeah. today, I guess, actually. Right. And and by the time you guys hear this, this is going to go out on Monday, the week of Laracon. So uh, you'll you'll probably hear it on your way down to the event. So Taylor, you want to tell us about the event? We you know the tickets are sold out. So if someone can't get, you know, they obviously can't get a ticket anymore. I saw that you tweeted the other day that there were like a few people that released them or something. Did those all sell already? Or uh, I think there's three left. It's okay. But yeah, it's practically sold out. I mean, almost every seat should be filled. Um Last year, it felt really full, but there was actually 100 empty seats in the venue last year. I don't believe that, man. I'm, I'm really nervous about this, to be honest with you. I know. Yeah. I don't think there was 100 seats empty. I know. It's pretty crazy. But that, the capacity is listed at 622. So, like, Now, if you said, like, last year we sold X number of tickets, but 100 less showed up, like, I would believe that. But I would also believe, like, I just, 622, I don't. Does that include like people sitting on the stage or like in the aisles or something like that was a pretty full. I hope not. We're going to find out there's it's going to be, you know, bigger than last year. Um, but hopefully that all works out. And I, I have to imagine the, the view from the stage had to be pretty impressive because I have to say, I, I don't think I've ever seen more Apple notebooks in a single like room before, right? Like you go to a concert and people hold their lighters up. Mm -hmm. This was all like glowing Apple logos. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool setup. I really like the venue overall. It's probably my favorite venue. It was great. Yeah, it was great. If you're listening to this and you're going to be watching it on live stream or if you're going to Laracon and you've never been there before, it's it's kind of like a big performance theater. Every seat is a good seat. There's nothing in your way no matter where you sit. And uh, and And then you do these 
serially, meaning that, you know, it's one track. Everyone that goes sees every single session, which I think is really cool because I don't know. Have you have you been to con- like conferences before, Taylor, where like like a Microsoft conference or something where you have to choose and you always leave feeling like you missed out on stuff like I love yeah. the one track thing because you get to get it all. Yeah, almost every other conference I go to does tend to be multi-track. I kind of prefer the single track. It lets you sort of bring in higher quality speakers in a way because you're not having to pay for 40 or 50 speakers. Right. You can just focus on maybe 15 good speakers and pay them a little more. So it lets you draw in uh, really good speakers. Like this year, we got um, Sandy Metz, who's really popular in the Ruby world. I don't know how many PHP people know her, but she writes really good material just on general OO design and stuff. And then Ryan Singer from Basecamp, you know, who does tons of cool stuff at Basecamp that I, I think he'll go into a little bit. But I was just at Basecamp a few weeks ago and was really impressed by the amount of detail like he puts into. Um, he does a lot of sort of sketches on his iPad Pro of new features. So he'll sketch it out and sort of make what they call a pitch to uh, Jason Freed and David Heinemeyer Hansen. And he'll just kind of pitch this whole idea and it will just be pages of text about how it would work, ideas for it. I mean, super detailed. And he, I think he's going to give a really good talk on sort of how how to do that, how to build things as programmers and how to avoid sort of pitfalls of very programmery feeling interfaces, you know, that feel, um, you know, I don't know, kind of just like a crud version of your app and aren't really yeah. like thought out in terms of design. So, and then of course we have Fabian um, from Symphony, Zeev, um, who is basically co-architect of PHP. Evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js, which has really taken off like wildfire. I looked um, at the Vue.js GitHub and it is just about almost past Laravel in terms of um, oh no popularity. Let me look. They're at 22,000 stars and 2,000 forks, which is, I mean, I can't even, that's a really fast uptake. So it really is like a year, maybe yeah. a, little, a little over a year, year and a half. Yeah. So, I mean, it's quickly on its way to becoming one of the premier, most popular JavaScript frameworks in the world. So, yeah, I mean, lots of really amazing speakers. So I think people are going to really enjoy it. And one difference from this this year, from last year, I should say, last year, about 50% of the talks were kind of what people call soft talks, um, where, you know, we had talks about sort of teamwork or handling emergencies. Yeah, last year felt a little bit like a TED talk to me in a way. Yeah, it was kind of half programming, half TED talks. Well, this year is 100% tech talks. So. Um, a lot of people, I got a lot of decent feedback about last year and people seemed to enjoy it. But this year I wanted to go with just a really tech focus. So if you're into tech topics and heavy dev topics, you will definitely enjoy the talks, I think, because that's that's the focus. The other thing I noticed is that even if you went last year, it seems like the tech talks are all pretty varied, you know, from what they were last time around. Is that something that happens like just kind of by accident, or do you put an effort into trying to make sure that you're not repeating things year after year? I do try to pick new stuff and keep it fresh. I try to pick new people. I don't like to get in sort of the rut of the same old faces at a conference. I think a couple of these people have spoken before. Uh, Jeremy Lindblom spoke in New York, and of course, Adam spoke last year. Chris spoke in New York. So there are a couple repeat faces that maybe spoke a cut two years ago. But for a lot of them, like Evan, Colin, Jason... Chuck, Amanda, those are all brand new faces. So I like to kind of keep the lineup fresh so it doesn't feel like um, sort of an insider's club of only these people um, have a chance to speak, you know, people that are yeah. sort of celebrities in a way. So some right. some of these people are not what you would call Twitter celebrities. Um, they're just 
talented programmers that do good work. And I think, you know, I wanted to give them a stage to share some of their stuff. Yeah, that was true even last year. I remember there were some people in there that were from like outside the community that, uh, that I hadn't heard about. Yeah. Pretty cool. So um, you've got some announcements coming and I know we're not going to talk about what they are, but uh, you, you did leak something today on Twitter. Do you want to talk about that and what kind of feedback you've gotten so far? Yeah. So this year's announcements are really different from the past two years announcements. So in 2014, I released Forge, um, you know, which was a paid service. And then in 2015, I announced Spark, which didn't get released until spring 2016. But this year it's all open source stuff that's being announced. There's no paid services. There's no SaaS apps that are being announced. So it's a little bit different in that regard where it's probably, let me look at my list here. I think it's probably four or five things, you know, that are, that are somewhat significant new features. Some, some more so than others, you know, some are new features that are kind of small. Some are very significant features that save days, if not weeks worth of work. So I'll kind of start small and then kind of build up to some of the bigger features, I think in my talk and it will probably take the whole time, you know, because I'll have to walk through demos of each one as I go. But I have a list of probably, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, probably 11 things that I could talk about that are all new things in 5.3. Some of them I've, I've tweeted, you know, screenshots of over the past few months. But then there's three or four that are to- people are totally in the dark on. So it's going to be interesting. I'm interested to see the reaction. But to be honest, a lot of the things that are coming I feel like are things that have been requested before over the years. Some of them may not be super surprising, but still I think will be very welcome. I would imagine that at some point it kind of gets almost like challenging in terms of like, how do you make such a popular framework better? Right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's really good as it is. Mm-hmm. So that's gotta be a challenge for you. I would think. Yeah. And there's a mix of things this year. There's a mix of core things that ship with the framework and there's a mix of things like cashier and socialite that you can pull in if you need them. Um, so. I'd say it's about half and half. Um, There's a couple new things that are going to be optional that you can pull them in that not every app will need necessarily. And there's going to be a couple things added that I think every app could benefit of. And and those things are going to go in the core. Okay. Now you're giving two sessions, right? Are you doing, you're doing a a workshop and an actual talk? I'm just doing one, one long workshop type session. And that's where I'll, it's not really, mine is not so much a workshop as the other people's, which I should probably update the description. Mine is, more of a walkthrough of 5.3, uh, which I don't know if it will be released that day. It, it could be a week or two later, mainly just because of documentation, uh, which I'm I'm really far along on. Actually, I, I am way past halfway um, on the documentation, but it could take a couple extra weeks. Uh, so that might get saved for Laracon EU. We'll see. Sure. But anyway, it will be a tour of all the 5.3 features, which are done. And, you know, kind of just a little demo of each one, but not so much uh, a workshop, so to speak. This might be a good chance to talk about the format of the thing, too, because, yeah. it, you know, last year's was a two day event with like pretty standard, like hour ish long sessions. And then when you first uh, announced Laracon this year, there was kind of like this optional workshop day in mm-hmm. front, which is how a lot of conferences do. But then it seemed a little bit later on that it turned into kind of just part of the package. Yeah. So are you are you anticipating is pretty much everyone going to the workshop? I hope so. I don't know. You know, I hope there wasn't confusion on that so that people didn't book their flights to arrive until Wednesday. So I don't know if Wednesday will be a little more sparse. Um, I really hope that's not the case. But yeah, everyone there was for, I think, two days, there was a separate workshop ticket you could buy, which I kind of did as an experiment to see, you know, like, is 425 too high for people? And would they buy a cheaper ticket for not having the workshops? But 
I had it out there for two days and nobody bit on the workshop ticket. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So then I was just like, you know what? Let's, I'll just make it all one thing. It will just be simpler and you can have access to all three days. We also went back and forth on the format of the workshop. So originally, I was going to do just a couple workshops and they were going to be like three hours a piece, but more like hands-on type workshops. Um, but that felt a little overwhelming for the speakers, I think. So I decided to just pull it back to an hour and a half. And they're more workshops slash tutorials. So I don't think that they're structured in such a way that you are expected to have your laptop out coding the whole time. They're just more in-depth than a 45-minute talk, and they're more sort of in the guts of what's going on. So I think Adam and his talk, um, you know, he's going to dive in pretty deep to doing TDD with Laravel. Adam and Evan actually have two talks. So Adam's talk, I think he's going to do the first half as sort of getting you up to speed on Vue. And then the second day, he's going to give a talk on Vue Router and Vuex, which is sort of their Redux uh, type implementation. So he's going to have, um, I guess that would be two and a half hours, basically, of Vue stuff. So he can go really advanced the second day if he needs to. One more question. As far as the people who are watching it, like on the live stream, what did you guys settle in on that? I remember when it first came out, it was one price. And then, you know, Eric told me on one of the episodes that it changed a little bit. Is it, is it $30? Is that the yeah, price? Yeah, it's always been $30. So, And then does it include all three days? Yes, that includes all three days. Okay. The only talk that's not included is Ryan Singer's um, at his request because we're not, he doesn't want to show the contents of some of the case studies publicly. Makes sense. He wants to keep that private. That, so, But every other talk will be, uh, live streamed and recorded and uploaded. Uh, we're hoping to upload them, you know, that night after the conference. A community member named Alex Hackney is doing the live streaming and videoing, and he's he's done this before. He's bringing his own 4G modem to connect, you know, up to the streaming service. Wow! And uh, how it will work basically is when you buy a ticket, and this is all actually detailed on the on the website. But a, a few days before the conference, you should get an email with a. Uh, you know, a link to make your login credentials for the streaming service and uh, so that you can log in when the conference starts. And I'm not sure how we're going to distribute the videos early. I don't know if that will just be like an FTP server or what, but somehow we'll get the videos up that night through some kind of service. So Taylor, one of the things I've heard people say is that when they go to a conference, like the actual technical content ends up being like half the value and the other half kind of comes from the social interactions with other people and meeting people face-to-face, -face, some of which you've maybe never met before, some of which, you know, you've, you've seen on Twitter and all that stuff. What, what kind of stuff can you tell us about, you know, the conference that you're holding and what opportunities you're having? I know you guys are doing like a pretty cool after party one of the days. Um, and then, you know, there's time between sessions and things like that. Yeah. So one thing we try to do in that regard is a couple of things. We try to have generous breaks first. So we have 30 minute breaks. 25 to 30 minute breaks, which gives people a lot of time to sort of mingle with the people next to them or out in the hall or whatever, get a drink. Also, we're adding a couple of new things this, this year. The first is we're bringing in a local coffee shop in the morning to do pour over coffee. They do really high quality uh, coffee and they're going to be doing that an hour before the conference. So people can come get some coffee, chat with people, you know, kind of take their time. Um, getting settled in the venue. So that's going to be really nice. I, I have to interrupt you for a second. Is this the coffee shop that Matt went crazy about last year? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's called Synergos or Synergos or something like that, but apparently really good coffee. And um, they'll be, they'll be doing that all three mornings of the conference. So if you're a coffee drinker, that will be uh, very nice, I guess. And then also we do that, the long breaks and ever all three nights we have a sort of cocktail hour where 
all the drinks are on the house in the lobby for an hour and you can have a drink and, and talk with people. And I think we then we closed the venue a couple hours after the conference. So that gives people a little extra time. And then this year, we're also adding on Thursday night and an extended after party at a uh, venue that's across from the hotel called Tavern on 4th. And that's down in the 4th Street Live District of Louisville and uh, walking distance from the hotel, very easy walking distance. And that's a very large uh, sort of restaurant with a bar area. They have all kinds of games, table games like pool and ping pong, foosball, bocce ball, uh, retro arcade games, um, you know, just kind of classic games. And we'll have a band booked, a band called Wildwood that's a local there to Louisville and kind of has a Louisville flavor. I feel like they're kind of a rock country band. So we'll kind of have that Southern Louisville feel uh, to the music, I guess, which was kind of similar to what we had in D.C. That runs from, I think, 8 p.m. to midnight on Thursday. So you have a lot of the night to hang out, play pool, talk, you know, just whatever you want to do. You know, it's got plenty of space, order food even. So that's going to be a really nice thing to sort of give people a little extra time, have some music and play some games too. Are any of the drinks or like hors d'oeuvres or any of that kind of stuff included or should people bring some cash with them? All the after all the cocktail hour drinks are included for the first hour. So you can grab it. I think it's beer and wine is is free for the first hour. There's no really snacks included. So um, if you need a snack, you know, uh, you might want to bring that in a, in a bag or something. Then uh, after the first hour, the bar transitions to a cash bar. So if you want to keep drinking after that first hour, you do have to pay. And part of that is just because. It is expensive to run, you know, a full host bar, basically. But then also, you know, you do want people to sort of drink responsibly and not just give two hours of free drinks. So especially since we have the tavern from eight to midnight. So you kind of want to pace yourself on the the cocktail hour. But yeah. the Now, is the is the tavern a double dip night? Will you get an hour free at the venue and another hour at the tavern or all drinks and food at the tavern will be cash. Now, all games are included. So all tokens. Okay. All tokens for the games are going to be included, um, you know, with the after party. So you won't have to pay for that. But if you want any drinks or food, you will have to pay for that at the after party. Okay. Awesome. Um, I really like Louisville as a as a venue spot. I you know drove down there last year. You were there last year. It's you know it's like kind of central to the not quite the Midwest, but like kind of the right side of the Midwest a little bit. Uh, and I thought it was a I thought it was a great place. Do you do you think you'll end up like making that your permanent home or do you feel like kind of a desire to move it next year? Part of me does want to move it. So there's been, there's pros and cons, you know, the pros of keeping it there is it gets easier and easier to run every year, basically, because you have, like I said, more people, you know, and and you know, kind of what to do. The, on the other hand, there are people, um, you know, that didn't want to buy a ticket this year because it was in Louisville. And I don't, I don't know what percentage, but a few people, uh, maybe two or three had let me know that, you know, they would come, but they really want to do a different location, you know, because they kind of make a vacation out of it and they, they saw Louisville last year. So um, I don't think it will really be a permanent home. And I don't know if we'll even have it there next year after having it there two years in a row. Sure. It is a nice city, though, because it is affordable. Um, everything's in walking distance. It's a central-ish location in terms of flights. It actually was a lot cooler city than I expected, to be honest. No offense, yeah. no offense to Louisville. Louisville people. No, no, it's a it's a great city. You know, it's a, you you think of it being really really small or something, but it's it's a pretty big little city. I mean, it's you know. Yeah, it is pretty large. And and I'm saying I I have to probably qualify that. I'm saying that I'm from the Chicago area, mm. so you know that's my frame of reference, right? You know, so it, Chicago is definitely bigger than Louisville. 
Yeah, not to get too far ahead of myself, but I mean, places I have looked at for next year that are in consideration are, of course, Louisville again, but then also Chicago, which has always been, we've considered that for the last three or four years in a row, you know, all the way back to New York, really, we that was in the running um, as a venue yeah. spot. And then also, you know, I think it would be cool to do a West Coast Laracon at some point, um, but you know, those what about like a uh, Vegas or a Disney or something? Yeah, I think Vegas would be a, a really cool spot. The only downside to something like Vegas is you're probably, I think, going to have to do a hotel venue. And it doesn't end up being as cool, I think. And it's actually really expensive to do that kind of venue yeah, rather are. than like having a venue separate and sort of buying it all a la carte where you're buying your catering separate, your venue separate. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Stuff like that. So. So Taylor, you know, speaking of the cost of putting these things on, uh, I know you've got some sponsors. Do you want to talk about them? Because they're they're really an integral part of why we're able to have this this conference. And I, I feel like the price for the conference is very very affordable. So I think you know that that sponsorship I think plays a big part in that. You want to talk on talk to that for a little bit? Yeah. So one thing I really like about our sponsors, which do play a, a huge part in um, funding the conference, since a gold sponsorship is eight thousand dollars, so that's a a large amount of cash to lay out there just for a conference sponsorship. Um, and one thing I like about the sponsors is they're all companies that I know and they're all people that I like. So, um, just to go down the list, like vehicle has been a gold sponsor every year, as far as I know. And, um, they do Laravel work. They do Laravel projects, big Laravel projects, and they do really good, uh, jobs on them. They have a lot of people have worked for them that are well known in the community, uh, like Adam Wathen, Jesse O'Brien. And I just really, really like them because it's a company that I can point people to if they need a Laravel project done as someone I can trust that they're going to do a really high quality job on this project. And then, of course, we have uh, Lara Jobs, which I mean, I was there when we built Lara Jobs at Userscape and worked for Userscape for several years. So it's nice to maintain a relationship with um, Ian Landsman and the whole crew there, really, um, I'm still friends with. And the cool thing about Lara Jobs is we actually run uh, Lara Jobs uh, postings during the breaks at the conference. So, you know, if you, there's lots of remote jobs, there's lots of on-site jobs on Lara jobs. And we kind of run those as a slideshow in between the talks so that you can jot down some contact information for a job if one sticks out to you. Uh, and then Bugsnag, I use myself on multiple services I've run. I've used them for years. Um, I know, you know, and I've spoken with a lot of people that work there. So it's just good to have relationships like that. Uh, same with Sentry. I, I've spoken to those people multiple times. Um, it also provides sort of uh, an exception reporting service for multiple languages, Ruby, PHP, JavaScript. Uh, RealPage is a local company to Louisville, actually. They have um, you know, quite a few Laravel developers, and I've used Laravel for years as well. And then Nextmo is a really cool sponsor this year because um, I can't talk a little bit about or too much why they're a good sponsor, but it's very appropriate that they're a sponsor this year with some of the things that will be revealed at the conference. So I was just going to ask, will, will we know why that is, uh, you know, in a week? Yeah. Yeah. That will make uh, more sense in a week, but I mean, I worked with them before they were ever a sponsor. So it's not like they paid me to, to help them out in any way, any way in terms right. of the code, but yeah, it will make more sense later. And then of course we have a Laracast and a bunch of other community sponsors. So Sure. Yeah, sure. it adds a lot. You know, it lets us do things like the after party that costs extra money or book a band or have a host bar, which is tens of thousands of dollars, you know, to yeah. do that. So I like to look at it from the perspective of every sponsor has basically subsidized my ticket, right? Right. Yeah. So 
Yeah, and it keeps the tickets really affordable. I mean, for a three-day conference, a 425 to me is, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's an expensive thing to buy. But a lot of conferences are a lot more than that. Um, so A lot more. A lot of PHP conferences of similar size and similar quality are, you know, seven or $800 a ticket for early sure. bird tickets. So Yeah, um, I, I know we were looking at some Microsoft conferences at work and they were, it might have been four day conferences. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say they were over two grand. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at over $500 a day versus, uh, you know, four, was it 425 for three days? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. $2,000 conferences I've definitely heard of. And I think it's cool to keep it low. I would love to keep it this low again next year or even try to go lower if I can um, to get more people in there, you know, because to me, it's, it's not. If it makes extra money, that's nice for me. But the fun part for me is having a bunch of people there having a good time because even if it makes a profit, it's not going to be a life-changing amount of money, you know? So for me, right. the fun part is to have 600 other Laravel people there that's all having a good time, excited. That's worth that's worth it to me, you know, even if the tickets are cheaper. That's a good point, right? I, it, it's easy for someone to look at the price per ticket and multiply it by like five or 600 people and be like, man, Taylor must be cleaning up, right? But <laughs> yeah. they, they don't realize that like every single person's lunch costs money yep. and the drinks cost money and the after stuff costs money and the venues are pretty expensive, right? I mean, it, it all, oh, it yeah. all kind of, you're lucky if you break even. Every single one of, of those things is probably $30,000 a piece. Oh my gosh. Hey, so you said that there's, what does this venue hold? 600 and yeah, something? It's listed at 622 people and if everyone shows up, there have been some cancellations, you know, and there's always people that, just don't show up. I mean, that happens every year uh, for yeah. whatever reason. But there sh- it should be a pretty full venue. I left a buffer of maybe about 30 seats open just to be safe, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then if we have a few cancellations, there could be a, a couple dozen more than that even. But last year, last year uh, we talked about there was actually 100 empty seats and it felt really full in it the venue. Felt full. <laughs> so, it felt full. Although, quite frankly, if you go into any kind of, like even a movie theater, my... My son actually works at a movie theater right now. We were talking about this. Like a movie theater that is half full feels 100% full because that's yeah. like a person every other seat, yeah, right? It feels really um, full. So yeah, last year it felt, I, I don't think there were any empty seats in the aisles that I sat yeah, in. Yeah, if time. you stood on stage, it looked sold out. It looked entirely yeah. sold out. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Does that venue have another stage or yeah. is it just the one? There is another stage, but it bumps up to about 2,000 seats. Um, okay. It's a much bigger stage. They use it for concerts you know big concerts um and stuff like that so I, we're not quite at that level yet but who knows maybe in four or five years we'll need it wow god that'd be amazing wouldn't it yeah that'd be wild for sure <laughs> awesome well taylor thanks a lot before we let you go do you want to just kind of give us a quick update on your your paid offering so obviously laravel's free but you uh you actually like kind of pay your salary from not really from doing these events but more from things like forge and, and your other services. do you want to talk about those real quick yeah, so Forge just received a couple updates recently. It's it's doing pretty well. And for those that don't know what it is, Forge links to your DigitalOcean or your Linode or your AWS account and will build the servers for you basically on your account. So it creates the server, it installs Nginx, it installs PHP. You can create free SSL certificates using uh, Let's Encrypt and create subdomains and all that kind of hairy server stuff. That's always sort of things you forget and have to Google because you haven't done it in a few months. So it does all of that for you, and it's just 10 bucks a month. Um, so definitely a very affordable thing. It can do push to deploy. 
all that good stuff. And some recent updates on that have been, I just released last night, um, if a deployment fails, you get an email notification instead of just a web notification uh, on your app. We just released also a recipe. So Forge has global recipes that we can release to all users that they can apply on their servers and that run different commands. So I just uh, released one today to patch the HTTP poxy, HTTPoxy, I guess is how you would say it, which is a new kind of vulnerability. Not a new, it's a very old vulnerability in a in PHP environment. So you can run that on your servers. It patches that uh, security issue. Um, and then, yeah, so check that out if you need PHP servers. It provisions using the latest PHP, PHP 7, so you don't have to worry about, you know, the old shared host days of not having the new PHP for like a year and a half. You can pretty much get it the same day uh, with Forge. Sure. Uh, and I'll just interject here. I, I personally pay for Forge with my own money because I think it's worth it. And my, my reason for using it up in the beginning was just how quickly and easily it made that kind of like, I guess you call it dev admin part of the development job. Yeah. Uh, I've actually used it for both like production stuff, but I've also spun up like dev servers on there just to tinker around with things and stuff like that. It's a wonderful service. And if you're doing any kind of uh, Laravel development, it's, it's definitely, I, I, it's, worth, it's worth the money. The other thing that maybe is worth mentioning too is um, you have this piece called Homestead, mm-hmm. right? And they kind of mirror each other, right? Like Homestead is kind of the same virtual machine that's on Forge. Yep, they share a lot of the same provisioning code. So in general, they're basically the exact same. Um, yeah, so that's another another good good thing if you're trying to do like a dev to QA to mm-hmm. production workflow. Yeah. Tell us about the other stuff you do. Uh, and then Spark is kind of a different uh, different than the other two things I've released, but it's basically a scaffolding for SaaS apps. So if you're building an app that needs recurring monthly billing, like a Forge or like an Envoyer, Spark scaffolds all that out with all the views, all the backend code, where you can define your monthly or yearly plans and people can subscribe and change their plan, update their credit card. All of that stuff is all scaffolded it out for you with you know just kind of basic bootstrap and Vue.js views, which you can then write custom CSS for or whatever you want to do. But it gets you a huge head start on all that stuff. It definitely would save you weeks uh, worth of programming time if you're if you're looking to kind of start your own subscription uh, model business. And that's been uh, really popular, actually. I've seen um, you know dozens of apps that have launched using Spark. People usually tweet me or email me sometimes when they launch an app. And I just tweeted a new one today, a project management tool. But it seems to really get people over the hump because. I know for me, like if I were to think about before Spark starting a new SaaS application, I would just dread writing all of that stuff because you kind of feel like you have to write it up front. Like you have to write the authentication part and let them subscribe. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like you're writing a complete app. And so I would always just kind of get bogged down on that part of the app. So just having it fresh out of the box, ready to go, and I can start focusing on what my actual idea is. Um, is really nice. And that's a just a one-time fee of $99 to get all of that. A lot of people, a, a good number of people have bought it without any app idea in mind just to see how it's written nice, or how, how I would write that kind of package because it's a very extensive uh, package with lots of controllers, lots of views and stuff like that. And then Envoyer um, is kind of, uh, it's just a deployment tool, but it it complements Forge in a way. So you use Forge to provision your servers and then you can use Envoy to do zero downtime deployments. So contrasting that to Forge deployments, Forge deployments just run a simple bash script on your server that basically usually git pull from your GitHub repository, run your migrations, update your composer dependencies, and it's all just done right there on your production folder or whatever. 
With Envoyer, it's more like a Capistrano-style deployment where we actually clone down a new copy of the project into an entirely new folder on the server and get it all ready to go. And then at the very last second, we symlink um, your current web directory to that new release. So it's absolutely zero downtime as you're deploying because if you don't do it that way, usually what happens is when Composer is updating or something like that, you're going to start getting error screens on your application because the auto-load file is not built yet or whatever. So... Using Envoy, you can avoid all that. And the nice thing is, like, if a deployment goes wrong, it just bails out and cancels, and your production site's not affected. So if something goes wrong with the Composer install, for example, your production site is just like it was. It's not using the new version yet. Yeah, it's like having, like, a snapshot or something, right? Yep, and then you can roll back to a previous deploy if you need to. So if you deploy a CSS change that went really wonky or something, you can just roll back to a previous deployment in Envoy uh, really quickly. So that that's really nice. I use Envoyer to deploy Envoyer itself, and I use it to, to deploy Forge too. So that that statement reminded me of, have you ever been to some place where they have like a mirror both in front of you and behind you? Yeah. And you're like looking at this like infinite thing, like Envoyer was used to deploy itself. Like um, anyway, that, that just painted that picture in my head. Yeah. That's also $10. Yeah. That actually sounds pretty neat. So question for you on Envoyer, like I always, I knew it did the SimLink thing, but I always thought it was kind of a one-off. Does it actually keep like your prior deployments, like right on the server? It does keep your last four deployments, I believe, right on the server. Okay. Yeah. So going back and, and restoring then is must be really, really quick. Yeah, it can be. It depends how you do it. So on Envoy, we usually just reclone it because it's still only a couple minutes to do it. But yeah, you can actually just do an instant sim link back to a previous release. And I'm trying to remember why I'm having a brain lapse on why we do a new clone, but there's actually a decent reason for why we do that. But anyway, as far as the UI is concerned, it looks like just a rollback, but I think it actually does pull down a fresh release of that particular commit hash from GitHub because we keep track of all that. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Taylor, thanks again for sharing all this stuff with us on the on the show and for uh, supporting you know, the Laravel News podcast. And, and of course, thanks for putting on this awesome, this awesome event that uh, we're going to have next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Now we've got Adam Wathen with us. Adam, you're doing two sessions at Laracon, right? You're doing a workshop and a regular session. You want to tell uh, people about it? Yeah, so I'm giving two sessions. Um, first one is on workshop day, which uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about this much, but the workshop day is, it's not really a traditional workshop format. Like when normally when you go to a conference, you kind of think workshop means like it's a whole day and you only get to pick one sort of thing. Right. But these workshops are just a, an hour and a half. So they're more like an extended talk format uh and it's kind of meant to be real practical stuff with lots of q a and live coding examples and stuff like that so they're one and a half hours long there's four of them during the day um they're in the same room so all 500 people at the conference get to watch all the workshops so not like a typical kind of hands-on 30 people in a small room sort of workshop right so for for my workshop session it's a test driven laravel is the workshop so just going to be going over kind of like what my tdd workflow is like with laravel and kind of covering some of the little gotchas and stuff that I wish I had learned sooner, uh, common mistakes that I see people make, things like how to get started uh, with your very first test, and uh, kind of going over some of the decision-making process that happens when you're uh, doing stuff with TDD, how you decide whether you should test this at the acceptance level or test this at the unit level, uh, that sort of thing. So super practical stuff using like a real uh, example that's hopefully going to feel uh, very similar to the sort of apps that people are building with Laravel. Nothing super contrived or anything. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll learn a lot of go- cool testing stuff uh, that way that uh, I wish I had learned a long time ago. It's something that I've been you know working on for years and years. And 
pulling in all sorts of information from all sorts of different communities and uh, different programming languages and frameworks and stuff. And I think I finally sort of have my workflow figured out. So looking forward to kind of sharing it with everybody. Okay. The other talk, I'm giving a talk called Curing the Common Loop. Okay. Which is more of a traditional talk format. It'll be like a 30 to 45 minute thing. Uh, going over a lot of the the sort of collection pipeline stuff that I've been talking about lately and that I, I covered in the book. Yeah, you've, you've, become, you've become kind of the expert on that now, haven't you? Seems that way. So just kind of, it'll start with kind of a high level introduction to sort of higher order functions and thinking about things in that way. And then dive into covering some of like my favorite uh, features of like the Laravel collection class and sort of some of the secrets and stuff that are not documented that well and cool tips and tricks and stuff nice. you can do with it. So Nice, yeah. Uh, if you're listening, you're not familiar. Adam wrote a book. Uh, what is it called? Refactoring to collections or something along yep, those lines. That's it. Yeah. And you can find that at adamwathen.me, right? And then is there a link on your homepage to get to the uh, book? There is. In the nav, there's a book link. So you could you can find it through there. Awesome. Yeah. I've looked through the whole thing now and uh, it's great. It's, uh, it's really neat. Uh, everybody I've talked to that's looked at it really likes it. So definitely worth picking up if you haven't already done so. Hey, um, Adam. You were at Laracon last year. Do you have any tips or advice for anybody who's coming for the first time? Um, Laracon is a, it's a, quite the uh, show compared to some other conferences that you might go to in terms of, uh, you know, single track, 500 people in kind of a big grand room uh, watching these, these awesome talks. Um, the only thing I would say, which is kind of, you know, the same advice I would give to anyone going to any other conference is uh, make sure that you try and meet people, make sure you talk to the speakers and let them know what you thought of their talks and strike up conversations with people. Uh, the most value you're ever going to get out of a conference is just kind of the people you meet and the opportunities you get to ask people questions about things and learn what other people are working on and kind of build relationships there. You know, what people always call kind of the hallway track. There's not usually much of a hallway track at Laracon. Everyone is always in all of the talks. So, right. uh, but there's lots of social time and stuff like that. So, so take advantage of that. And and if you come, if you enjoy any of the talks that I give, you know, definitely come up and, and chat with me about it. Or if you think I did something really stupid, let me know as well. So <laughs> awesome. I, uh, I look forward to seeing you. And again, thanks, Adam Wathen, for uh, being on the show. And now on to our next presenter. I have with me this week, Evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js. Evan, how are you today? Great. How are you? I'm doing good. So, Evan, you're going to be at Laracon this week with, uh, with about 500 other folks that love Laravel. Uh, you're giving a couple of presentations there. Can you tell us about those? Sure. Um, so the first day, I'm, go I'm going to be giving a uh, brief workshop which is going to be more uh, introductory. Um, so I, I would suppose it's, uh, it's, I guess, a lot of people that's attending Laracon know a bit about Vue.js, but probably not everyone. We're just going to briefly uh, introduce what Vue.js is, uh, give some high-level overview on the, you know, the, the, how it started, the thinking behind it, and why, it, um, why I think it differs from some of the other front-end solutions out there. Uh, and then we're just going to quickly, probably a, a whirlwind tour through the most basics of what Vue.js looks like. Um, and I think we're probably going to build a small you know, example application with it. But um, that's it for the first day. And the second day is going to, there's going to be a talk about Vue Router and Vuex, which is targeted towards users with a, a bit more experience with Vue.js, and they want to step up their game on building more complex front-end applications. So, uh, so the the second talk is mostly going to be focused on uh, 
a, an architecture that sort of separates the front end and the back end more cleanly where um, uh, you would use Laravel primarily as your API server and you would handle you know, your, the, the routing. Uh, the interface layer would actually have client-side routing. So we will use View Router in the browser to handle routing. And we would um, also use Vux, which is a, uh, I call it a state management solution, which is essentially, if you think about it, it, it looks more like a, a mini database on your client in the browser. So we are moving a lot of uh, things that you would usually do in the back end into the browser. Um, to, so, so this sort of um, transi transitions your app into a uh, sort of a front-back architecture where you would handle a lot more logic in your front, uh, but results in a, more, in a, in a snappier performance uh, in, uh, from the user experience perspective. Uh, and also, um, it, it probably works a lot better for those complex apps like dashboards and uh, more application-like interfaces, I would sure. say. Um, so yeah, that's what the second topic is most so on. does does that architecture end up like does it improve performance because it reduces the number of round trips is that kind of how that works yeah exactly okay so yeah suppose when you um when you're doing a single action you actually want to um the the, the round trip that you're spending when you fully reload the page is actually you know you are resending all the http requests and you are reloading the whole page reparsing the html you are re-executing all the JavaScript. Um, but with a uh, single-page application architecture, you're, in fact, just uh, sending some data and getting some data back to the back end. And then you're doing primarily the, all the re-rendering -re happens on the client, which is actually amazingly fast, uh, given to how fast today's browsers are. So uh, you can even do optimistic updates in the client. So uh, in general, it would end up being much more responsive if uh, compared to the type of application where you have to refresh the whole page, sure. When you go to a new URL, neat. So here's a question: When you have a single page thing like that, where the client side is doing all of the logic, mm -hmm. what happens to the URL? You know, like on a normal website, if right. I go from one link to another to another, the URL kind of gets updated, right. and I can bookmark that. Yep. Is, do you have a method for handling that in client side? Yeah, that's the job of View Router. Uh, so the router, View Router, does this thing called uh, deep link. Which, um, so there are two modes for view router. The, the one mode is using the hash of, in the URL to simulate client-side routing. So you would actually load your whole app under a, uh, a single static your backend URL. And then all the client-side's uh, URL routing is handled in the hash section of the actual URL. That's okay. one mode. Uh, but there's also uh, another mode which uses the HTML5 push state API. Uh, history push state API to actually simulate real URL links in, in the client. And that does require a tiny bit of uh, cooperation from the back end. Essentially, let's say you're serving an app at the root of an, a URL. Uh, you want to basically redirect every request that starts with that URL to the same HTML page. Sure. Right. So you render the same HTML page well, regardless of what URL you're actually loading initially loading in your browser. Okay. And when that page loads, um, View Router will then look at the URL and say, okay, uh, this is what I actually should render. Neat. Yeah. This got me so excited. Yeah. So you actually get the sa exact same URL you would get 
from a normal backend like app, but um, you actually get the full client side experience. Okay, that's awesome. So, um, you know, Evan, since you're your first, you know, this is your first time on the show. Uh, we're obviously talking about this, you know, Vue.js framework. Can mm-hmm. you give us a little background on on this framework? Like, you're still on you're in version one now, right? Version one something. Uh, yep. I I see on your Patreon page that you know two is announced. Yep. Do you have a time frame for two? Is it when, what are you thinking in terms of how long that's going to take? Actually, uh, two is, I would say ninety. The code itself is like ninety nine percent ready. Um, we are currently in two point beta two. Okay. Uh, and I think we're moving into RC really, really soon because the, uh, all the features and you know uh, tests are completely done. The primary thing that we are actually waiting for is documentation because uh, we need a, an upgrade guide and we need to uh, update a lot of the, the current documentation to reflect the changes in 2.0, which actually ends up being quite a lot of work. Yeah. So, um, but we don't want to, you know, ship 2.0 and then people are like, where's the documentation? We don't know how to For use sure. it. So For we sure. want to make sure we get, uh, get the documentation to a satisfactory state before we actually, uh, you know, do the official release. But, so are you, are you thinking it could be this year still? Or are you, with, are you thinking? <laughs> Probably within, uh, within a month. Definitely. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. Now, yeah. uh, what will you be showing us at Laricon? Is that going to be the 2.0 beta, or will that be like the 1 series? We will be using 2.0 beta most likely. Okay, neat. Yeah. So awesome. if you're going to Laracon, you're going to get, uh, you know, you're going to see 2.0 in action before anyone else. That's awesome. So it's July 2016 right now as we're recording this. How long have you been working on this thing? How long has Vue been a thing? So the first ever commit was probably back in 2013. Okay. I think. That's when I was still at Google. Um, I was working at Google Creative Lab at that moment. And um, at that time, my, my primary job was building a lot of uh, UI prototypes for a lot of experimental projects that we have. Okay. Creative Lab was, uh, you know, it's a lab and we have a lot of crazy, weird ideas. And uh, sometimes you, you have something you want to just try out. So we had to build a lot of prototypes really, really fast. So in, in the beginning, I was writing a lot of the stuff in vanilla JavaScript, and that quickly got tedious. And I wanted a library or framework to you know help me manage it and build it faster. Um, so I tried a lot of them. I tried Backbone. I tried uh, Angular, but for me, Backbone offered too little, and Angular offered too much. And I want something that you know kind of solved this these. Uh, I, what I would consider the quintessential problem of front-end UI is mapping some data, you know, and their cha- changes to you know the eventual render DOM. So I don't want to manually listen to changes and then manually apply the DOM manipulations. I sure. want everything just to be automatic, okay, to be declarative. And that was kind of the that was the impetus that that got you right got you so, started on this. Yeah. So Angular kind of you know, provided with the data binding and directives and all that. But it also brought in too much uh, baggage that I didn't really want. Okay. Um, so so the, the really, really first initial version of Vue was more like an experiment in trying to implement the reactive data binding system uh, that Vue uses today. Obviously, it's, it's very different now, but uh, that was the initial motivation. I want to implement a minimal library that, you know, Provided this like reactive data binding system, that was the 
first thing that I did. And I created it and put it on GitHub. And somehow, uh, some people noticed. And at that time, it was not even called Vue. So what, what point were you at when you started to feel like or realize like, hey, this is getting big? When did that moment happen? Right. So it's actually a pretty long process, right? Because from then to here is like almost three years, two and a half right. years at least. So the first milestone was when I decided I want to make it a, a, a real project because I used it myself. I liked it. I was like, this is worth probably worth sharing. So I, I renamed it to Vue and then announced it. I actually have a blog post on the first week of launching it. So I think that was February 2014. Okay. So I released it in February 2014, and it got picked up by a, a few like you know news sources like Hacker News and stuff, and got a, like several hundred stars in the first first week. Wow. So I was like, oh, cool. Um, so this looked great, but um, still for a very long period of time, it still remained like a side project. It's more like just a just a personal open source project that. Uh, you know, it's it's nothing compared to Angular or React at that time. Now you made the transition from a side project, working your day job mm-hmm. and doing this kind of on your off time, mm-hmm. to you work on this full time now, right? Yep. So, do you want to talk to us about like when did that happen and how did that happen? Like how and, and now right. that you're working on your own, how can people help support you? Right. So that's also a very gradual process. I think I started to work on it more and more. Because more and more people started using it. It's kind of like, you know, a feedback loop. Sure. I would put it off for a while when I'm focused on other things, but then I would receive a bunch of issues or I would receive people like sending emails saying, hey, we're using it. We like it a lot. I'm like, oh, people are actually using this. So I put more time into it I because I want to, you know, it, it's like an obsession of mine to, to make it great. You know, I want to make a really good framework. So. I kept working on it until it got picked up by the Laravel community. That's the second milestone. Uh, when um, when Taylor posted uh, posted a tweet on Twitter saying like he he was learning React and he was totally lost. It's like I'm learning Vue.js instead now because it just looks so much easier and you know the documentation is better and blah blah blah. And that kind of started the whole thing and the the growth curve. You know, if you see, look at the whole growth curve of Vue.js, you will see that there is like an upward transition from that point. That's like May 2015. Okay. So it just went explosive after that. Uh, And then Jeffrey started doing, you know, Vue.js video series on Laracast and it just kept growing. Um, So that's the moment when I thought, hey, maybe I'm onto something big, right? Like, yeah, people like it. And there's, you know, Laravel is a huge community. And if they are liking it, that means I, I've got something right. 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 So, um, so I was like, um, maybe I should, you know, be more serious about it. So that's when I decided to start working on 1.0, which is, which is kind of like consolidating some of the, all the API decisions that I've had. in Because before that, it was like, it's, it was still like 0.11 when, when Taylor started using it, I right. think. Remember that, Pac-Man? Yeah. So it was kind of unstable. There were still a bunch of problems. And so 1.0 was October 2015. That's one of the big push that I had. And I didn't actually have time to do it because uh, I was still working media back then. Yeah. I, I, 
also actually asked Meteor to say, hey, do you want to make VJS like one of the official supportive viewers? But it didn't quite work out because of the, you know, company strategy problems and stuff. So I was like, but I really want to work on this. So I actually took a three-week vacation just to do it. Wow. So, so I t- spent all my vacation on, one, uh, on getting 1.0 to ship. And I think it kind of paid off because after 1.0, there's another, you know, growth spurt uh, where uh, it, it just kept the, the growth rate that it has started since, uh, since Laravel community started picking it up. Yeah, so, that, that 1.0 release is definitely like, you know, putting up a flag to the world like, hey, this is ready for you to take and look at. Right, you know? right. So, um, so that kind of uh, helped a lot in, in people because... You know, a lot of people are reluctant using 0.x software sure. because yeah. you know, yeah. it's not stable. So at this point, you're still working a day job. You took three weeks of vacation to create this 1.0 release or to kind of put it together. Uh, what happened next? Where did you, because you're, you're, right. you're doing this full time now. When did that happen? So that's when um, I, after 1.0, right, uh, it started growing more. So I it's it's also kind of you know the growth had me start thinking like is it possible to just you know make a living by working on this thing? Yeah. Uh, I I was hesitant because I don't really know. I looked around. There's you know really no you know great example of people just living off of pure open source project. For Maybe sure. Taylor is like one of the examples. I actually talked to Taylor and Jeffrey about you know I asked them for advice on you know how to make this sustainable. And it was kind of different, different, interesting because almost every, you know, open source project is unique in, is somewhat unique because, you know, Laravel is very different from Vue.js in, in that it's a backend service. So t- it was natural for Taylor to be able to, you know, create products around it like Forge or uh, Envoy, you know, right? because these are naturally related and it provides a really, you know, coherent link to Laravel itself. Right. But front-end frameworks, there is no such strong tie. Yeah, maybe know, to, consulting or something, right? It's, right, uh, but consulting is still, you know, it, it to me feels like I want to actually focus on the meat of the project itself instead right. of, um, you know, trading my time for, time for, dollars, for income, right? Yeah, right? I hear that all the time. So, um, so I, I actually had no idea how to do it. So, it, it, I wanted to work on it full time for very since very early on. Maybe after 1.0, right after 1.0, I wanted to work on work on it full time, but I didn't have the uh, the means or didn't didn't know how to actually achieve it. So I started the Patreon campaign more like an experiment. I was just trying to s- test the waters to see if this would be a possible feasible way to do it. Yeah. So it turns out it kind of works, you know. Yeah. So and and just for people listening who uh, aren't mm-hmm. familiar, so the the website I I pronounce it Patreon. Some people pronounce mm-hmm. it Patron. Uh, it's it's p a t r e o n dot com. And Evan, you've got a page set up there at your name, so Patreon dot com slash e v a n y o u. Yep. Um, and this is where people can come and support you. Do you want to talk real quickly about like how Patreon works? Like it looks like you've got different kind of offerings on there and all that stuff. Right. So Patreon is essentially a monthly pledge plan. So um, it's if you think about Kickstarter, Kickstarter is one time, but Patreon is all about recurring support. So if you pledge, say, $10 to the Vue.js project, 
you would automatically pay $10 every month. So uh, as a result, you will get something in, in reward. Uh, for example, uh, in on my campaign, I don't have any real like material reward, but if sure. you pledge $10 a month, you get your name in the backers file in the Vue.js repository. There's okay. a dedicated file for that. If you pledge 50 or more, your name will be at the top of the file. Nice. Uh, if you have pledged $100 or more, you can have your company logo in the in the backers file. Okay. Um, if you pledge uh, 250 or more, you get a bigger logo, and uh, you will your logo you will, will also show up on the sponsors page on UJS.org. And if you pledge $500 or more, your company logo will show up on the front page of UJS.org. Yeah. So, so that's actually uh, which, by the way, I feel like now that you're getting as popular as you are. That's almost like cheap advertising. Like you might need to, you might need to raise that pledge level. That's true, because uh, the front page actually currently gets, uh, I think, a more than more than a hundred thousand impressions per month. Probably yeah. way higher than that, because that was the number I had when I started. Okay. So, um, and it also, you know, will be will be on at the top of the VJS repo README. So the README also gets like twenty thousand unique visit- visitors per month. Wow. Now you mentioned to me before we started this that uh, one of the things that's really helped you is you've actually gotten some like some business sponsors, right? It's not individuals per se. Right. I mean, there's a lot of individuals too, but you've got a couple of a uh, couple of businesses, right? Yep. That's pretty cool. Now, is it just Patreon? Is that pretty much the only the only thing you're doing as far as income right now? I actually want to give a shout out to the author of uh, Majestic Vue.js, which is it's a book you can buy on LeanPub. I didn't work on the book, but the authors of the book are kind enough to be donating 30% of their the royalty to me. Nice. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. So, so yeah, I think uh, Patreon and the book are probably two of the easiest way for people to support me at the moment. Awesome. Uh, and I think it's fantastic that, I mean, you've, you've made full-time work out of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, very, very exciting. So, Evan, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I really look forward to meeting you in person at Laricon. And also, I'm, I'm really excited about seeing these sessions. Our next guest with us this week is Chris Fidau. Am I saying that right, Chris? You got it. Chris, how often would you say your name is pronounced incorrectly? All the time, every time. So what have you heard from it? You've heard Fidau. Have you heard Fideo? Fideo is by far the most common one. Yeah, everyone says Fideo. It's to the point where I don't hear it at oh all anymore. But it's actually Fidau. Yep. Okay. And Chris, you're going to be doing one of the workshops. Do you know the title of the workshop? Do you have that down yet? Is it, I don't know if it's on the site. Right. I mean, and the first slide of my keynote is called server survival. That's subject to change, but that's what it's called right now. Oh, that, that actually sounds pretty awesome. So uh, let me take a guess and then you can correct me. Server survival. Is this uh, like troubleshooting and problem solving? Is it, is it that kind of session? It's sort of like that. Yeah. And that everything I take is stuff that I've either run into issues with myself or people have asked me a lot about. So what I kind of do is just pick an issue and I uh, explain how to get through that. And what I do a lot of in this is instead of giving you kind of tactical run this command, then this command, this command, I'm kind of going into this is how it works. So if you run into this issue, you have like a mental model available to you to figure out how to how to get around it. Okay. What kind of specifics will you be covering? Yeah, so right now I'm talking about uh, Vagrant security stuff, installing packages, understanding the network, and I have a big section on permissions and kind of going along with permissions uh, deployment. Okay, awesome. That'd be cool because I I get 
bitten all the time by composer because I think one point or another I ran it as sudo. And now like every time I try to do some like kind of composer update, there's always some package that has bad permissions and it's been right. biting me ever since. Yeah. It's like you think it's a simple concept, but there's a bunch of stuff going on around. And it is simple once you get it, but like there's always some weird thing for the permissions that it's not makes it not behave like you think it would. But yeah, I'll be covering it. Awesome. So you're going to be there live. And if I'm not mistaken, you're slated for the first day because I think that's when they're doing the workshops. So that would be, is that Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the conference this year. So you'd be up on Wednesday. Yeah. The other thing, this is, of course, the Laricon US episode. Uh, we now know that Laricon US is going to be live streamed. And I believe yours is one of them that is going to be live streamed. So people can benefit from this wisdom either in person or remote, which is awesome. Right. Yeah, it's going to be good. If yeah. I make a mistake, everyone gets to see it. It's going to be kind of, are, are you a little bit nervous? <laughs> Have you ever spoken to a group this big? I did Laricon two years ago. Okay. And it was definitely smaller, but not. it's not going to be like a stadium versus a not stadium's highest crowd. I think it'll be, I think it'll be pretty good. Okay. Awesome. I'm one of those people who practices their talk a lot beforehand, so it'll... Oh, okay. So it'll be, it'll be a piece of cake for you then. Well, we'll see. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, any last minute advice for people um, that are interested in servers? You have a couple of products offerings, don't you? Like a book or some videos or something that you... You maintain, do you want to tell us about that real quick? Yeah, both of those. So uh, I have the Servers for Hackers video site, which is all free content, just serversforhackers.com. There's a lot of videos, and with each video, I also write out all the stuff I cover in it. So if you don't feel like going through the video, you can just read the commands I ran, some of the description and that kind of stuff. And then I'm also updating the Servers for Hackers book, which I think is like two years old now, something like that. Might be more. Wow. Feels like just yesterday. Two or three years. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I'm doing a refresh of it, which is complete, and it's launching uh, the 19th of June. Oh, nice. Okay, so that'll be, isn't that like the weekend right before Laricon US? Yeah, it's the Tuesday before Laricon, before the week of Laricon. Okay, so by the time you hear this, because this will air on the week of Laricon, if, if you're listening right now, uh, that book will actually be out and live. Right, yeah, it'll be that. Awesome. So, um, yeah, and it's almost, like the book itself is most of the same content. Uh, it's all updated for Ubuntu 16.04 which has some changes to like the default PHP installs and uh, other technical stuff, which I've changed in the book. And then I've refreshed and redone and remade some videos and updated the case studies and all that. Cool. So Chris, if somebody owns this book already, is the new book going to be a free update, so to speak, or do they have to pay to upgrade it? How does that work? Yep, exactly. It'll be free. So um, my I primarily publish it in LeanPub, and LeanPub has the model where every time you update it, it's free for uh, people who have already purchased it. And I'm just going along with that model. So it would be the same for LeanPub and Gumroad because I provide um, I provide the book in both of those. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing is, is this book going to stay the same price now that you put all this extra effort into it, or is, is there going to be a price increase to kind of go along with it? Yeah, so I am going to increase the price because I put a lot more work into it, including you know updating the videos and the case studies in addition to the book content. So that's going to go up, but the first week I'm planning on having a sale price on it. Okay. And if you're listening to this, you know, the week that this comes out, this is the week of Laricon, that coincides basically with, uh, give or take, with the, the book's first week of release. So uh, you should be able to overlap that. Just if you're listening to this on your iPod or whatever right now, uh, make sure you jump on that right away to, to, to get that discount. Um, this sounds awesome. So uh, what is your favorite thing about the book? Is there one particular piece that you're really proud of or that you really like or that you really wish just people would look at because it would help them? I think the two things that people have questions on are often security. 
Okay. And security is kind of this big unknown unknown where you know you don't know everything about it and it's kind of a big topic. So you really worry about it. And more so in this talk I'm going to give, I talk about all the areas of security. But the book covers ground in that too, and actually a lot of it. So it'll be all the stuff I do in every one of the services I spin up for security. So the, the security section is pretty good on that. Awesome. And then the other part where I explain how web servers work and how they kind of send requests to like Nginx or Python or Ruby or something like that. Because I don't think that's really well understood, like how an HTTP request goes from your browser to like Nginx or Apache and then into this intermediary thing and then finally into your code. Okay. Awesome. It sounds, you got me excited. I can't wait to see it. So, um, so again, thanks again for Chris Fidow. Say that properly if I can. <laughs> got it. And uh, we'll see you, uh, we'll see you at Lyricon. All right. Sounds good. See you there. Well, that wraps up the interviews for this episode. Um, and I guess we will all be heading out to Laricon. Um, myself and Jack, of course, we will both be there and uh, come and say hi to us. We love to meet everybody. And uh, any, any closing thoughts there, Jack? No, I was going to say exactly what you did there. It's just, you know, uh, if you see me and you want to say hi, please introduce yourself. Same thing with Eric. Uh, I, I will obviously be at the conference uh, all three days, and I'm going to try to make my way over to the hotel and hang out there for a little bit. Uh, really excited about it. Looking forward to it. And uh, we'll see everybody. By the time you hear this, we'll see everybody this week. Yes. Sounds great. Everybody have a safe trip. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Safe travels, everyone. This has been a special edition of the Laravel News Podcast. Thanks for listening. 